Welcome again to another Stargate Sunday from Seven Days to Rock and Stone Guardians. Rock um, and Stone, Kevin. I'm here with Ryan and myself. How was your week, Ryan? Uh, long. It's a long week, man. It's, it's a been, long week. It's just getting longer. I don't know why. It's probably because the days keep going. Yeah, yeah. More yeah. days. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just watched Uncharted, the movie. Yeah, uh, oh, how was that? Recently. It was pretty good, actually. They were definitely setting it up for another one. I'll have to look into how that's progressing because I don't even remember when Uncharted came out, to tell you the truth. Uh, I feel like it was maybe February? March? February, March? It's been out for a while. It's been out since last year, definitely. No, it was released February. You're right. You're right. All right. There we go. I hope they do a second one. I enjoyed it. That's good. Uh, good to hear that you thought it was good enough to deserve a sequel. I mean, the critics didn't like it because the Rotten Tomatoes score was like 40%, but the Metacritic score, the one that's done by fan reviews, mm-hmm. uh, was almost 90%. Oh, good. I mean, that's that's definitely like the... That's the more important any score. any studio that really like pays attention, that's the more important one for sure yeah the critics are just a bunch of assholes and they don't give anything good to anybody who doesn't pay them money <laughs> well also like they're more apt to give a good score to like a, a small one that was done by like uh two people instead of like a, a a movie made to make money like uncharted i don't know it's exactly like like the oscars where the only way you get nominated is if you pay money and the only way you really win is if you pay the most money Oh, yeah. No, the the Oscars are completely rigged, for sure. All right, so let's get into today's Stargate. Okay. Uh, This episode's called A Brief Candle. It is technically the ninth episode of the first season. We're calling it the eighth episode, but that's how it's done on Netflix. That's where we both pretty much watch it from. (laughs) Yes, sir. And uh, now you can watch it for free on Pluto TV. Ah, yes, the 24-hour Stargate channel is live on Pluto Television. Yes. They play all Stargate all the time. All Stargate all the time. Do they include the movies? I think they include the movies. They might include the Uh, movies. Maybe. The ad that I was shown was just for, um, like, Stargate Atlantis and uh, SGA. SG-1. Yeah, yeah, SG-1. SGA. They probably have SGU on there, Stargate Universe. Like I said, not a, not a huge fan of that one, but it's probably the actors that screwed it for me. It's still worth watching. Yeah, it's only two like seasons, it. so it's easy enough to get through. Yeah. So anyway, this episode's called The Brief Candle. Oh, original air date, September 19th, 1997. What do you think was going on around then? Uh, the moon exploded. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, there were some interesting no. things that happened this past week uh, for uh, just before that Stargate. September 15th, 1997, Google.com. The domain name was registered for the very first time. Oh, shit. I know. That's That That one's pretty crazy. That one blew my mind. I'm like, oh, I wonder how much they paid for it. Interesting. A fun fact for everyone, if you didn't know, a few years ago, a kid was buying up domain names. Uh, and he found that Google was available because of some sort of lapse that Google allowed it to become available for a short period for of time. For like less than an hour or something like that. It was uh, it was a brief enough period of time for this kid to snatch it up 
and um, instead of like asking for money, the money that they were going to pay him, they just like uh, he asked them to donate it to a charity. Oh, he wasn't really interested nice. in it. He just thought it would be the coolest thing to get his name out there. <laughs> so there's some good people out there, at least. On the very next day, September 16th, 1997, Steve Jobs is named interim CEO of Apple Incorporated. Ooh. Steve Jobs. That Steve is... Jobs. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Although I hear he's a bit of a dick in real life. Uh, yeah. But a lot, I mean... of pe- a lot of people like that who get to where they are running large companies like that aren't going to be the nicest of people. Not all of them, at least. Not, yeah, or, so you, I should know. say not all of them are going to be dicks, but I, it seems to me like businesses nowadays have to be run by dicks if they're going to become Fortune 500s. Well, I mean, you know, either they're dicks or they're assholes. <laughs> you don't want to be shed on. You don't want to be in the middle of uh, dicks and assholes. Right. Just let them do their yeah, own thing. You know... Dicks fuck pussies, but they also fuck assholes. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave a silent <laughs> gap in there for everyone to uh, understand. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's a that's a Team America quote. I couldn't help myself. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's check out what was going on in video game history. Um, not a lot really. <laughs> there was an episode, or sorry, there was a game called Odd World. Abe's Odyssey. Ooh, yeah. Have you ever played out. any of the Oddworld games? I have not. It did look like something I remember some uh, commercials from way back then. Well, they had some wild commercials for those. Yeah, definitely something I, I kind of remember. But also, uh, the Street Fighter collection came oh, out. Oh, nice. So the collection of all the really good Street Fighter games that were uh, staples in popular culture at the time. TV oh, and right. movie history. Some movies that came out in and out. Not really familiar with that one. And then Wishmaster. Yeah. Do you remember Wishmaster? Wishmaster, I kind of uh, remember as no. being a pretty crazy horror film. Um, but I wasn't really interested in either of these movies because none of them sounded good. Although Wishmaster turned into a series, so it must have been good enough. I uh, think it was semi successful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I paid more attention to the TV history going on at the time, which was. Um, September 13th, 1997, The Weird Al Show premiered. Oh, Weird Al. It only lasted a single season, but it seemed like it was a really good premise. I think he just did it in the wrong time period. If he'd done it, like, now, I'll bet you he could have gone five seasons. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, if you've ever seen any of the movies he's done, it's just, mwah, chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love Weird Al. That dude's yeah. timeless. Watch uh, UHF. Watch UHF. You have to watch UHF. After you listen to this podcast, go they... home and watch UHF. Yeah, uh, yeah. Isn't there, um, there's a movie coming out about Weird Al, isn't there? Yes. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, a like a, I think it's a faux biopic. And, uh, like a parody think, of some sort? Yeah, like it's a, it's gonna be a parody of a, a, of a biopic, and I think it's going to have Daniel Radcliffe in it as Weird Al. Let's uh, let's look this up really quick because I need to I need to know. Yeah, do it. I need to know. Give us some in between their music, there, buddy. Ba ba da 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 
the point of view from the company where, you know, like they they need it to make them money so that they can continue to fund, you know, more interesting things that can make them more money and so on and so on and so yeah, on. They're a business. They're not interested in the art of it. Anyway. Right. Only as far as it makes them money. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. So this episode is written and directed by, uh, written by Stephen Barnes. He is the main credit on this one. Director Mario Azapardi. Interestingly enough, one of the other writers, um, specifically the teleplay writer, is Catherine Powers. We know Catherine Powers, right? Catherine Powers is the one who wrote Emancipation, one of the worst episodes we've ever seen. And we'll continue to say that it until the day we die. But she only wrote the teleplay. In this case, the main writer who wrote the story was Stephen Barnes. She just wrote the screenplay. However, okay. she did a really good okay. job. Uh, I mean, like, if you're just, like, uh, transcribing something, uh, I'm sure it's a lot easier than... It's a, a little copying. more than just transcribing. You have to come up with... <laughs> than this. copying your homework from ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right. Let's not hit her too hit too bad while she's down. Uh, so Stephen Stephen Barnes wrote the story for this episode. Um, he this is his first and only main writing credit for the series. So this is it. This is the only thing he ever did for this the series, and it was a pretty good one. Um, he's got some other writing credits. It, yeah. um, he believe it or not wrote for um, both versions of the Twilight Zone, both the old series and the new series. You know, I didn't actually see any of the new series. It kind of like was, came and went. It was very good. Very good. Um, okay. I saw one episode with the Sassy Beats in it. Domino from uh, Deadpool. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a, li- a library episode. I can't quite remember what it was about, but I, all I remember is that I thoroughly enjoyed that episode. And okay. I probably don't remember it because I was drinking at the time. <laughs> um. He also did some writing for The Outer Limits and Baywatch. Baywatch. What a weird <laughs> what a weird one to have, but Baywatch. Right. Outer li- so The Outer Limits make sense. Um Yeah, but I mean Baywatch you didn't watch that episode of Baywatch. It's where a, a black hole opens in uh in the Florida Keys and they have to, you know, and mi- millions of Hasselhoffs show up. Yeah, millions of uh, variants of Hasselhoff show up <laughs> to rescue various people. That's <laughs> So, so like I said, Catherine Powers did some uh, writing for the screenplay on this one with Stephen Barnes. This is her second writing credit on SG-1. She actually will go on to do many more, uh, believe it or not. And some of them aren't bad episodes. Uh, for instance, she is going to be writing the next episode that we're going to see, which is Thor's Hammer. And I, okay. love, I love Thor's Hammer. That's a really good episode. Um, so I can't I can't say that I really hate her too much. I only hate her because she made me sit through that disturbing forty five minutes of television, the one time. Yeah. More yeah. than once, actually, I've seen that episode at least three times, and I don't care to watch it ever again. I don't blame you. I don't think I'll be watching it anytime soon. <laughs> so the director, Mario, as a party. This is the second of five directing credits that he has on SG-1. He also does some directing for Stargate Atlantis. Um, the other one that he directed for SG-1 was Children of the Gods. That was before we started deciding to tell who the director and the writer were. Got so, it. 
So he did the uh, the Children of the Gods episodes. Okay. Okay. Other credits include The Outer Limits, Dinotopia. Remember oh, Dinotopia? <laughs> I do. I do. Oh. I loved that book. It was a good book. I didn't even realize it was a book. I'm so naive. Wow. I'm sorry. Look at this guy over here. Uh, and The Zone of Separation was another one of his credits that I, I, I'm not familiar with. Um, let's get into the synopsis for this episode. I, I, I'm ready. Get I'm your, ready. Get your ear holes ready. Put them in uh, their safety belts. My ear belts. holes. Put them in their safety I'm belts because the, they're. I'm, I'm put the them ear on holes, the, man. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to put them on the right of their lives. Um, okay. On a visit to the planet Argos, the team comes into contact with a race of people whom they discover live very short lives. In fact, they were genetically manipulated by a Goa'uld named Pelops to live for only 100 days. While on the planet, Jack is infected by a virus which causes him to rapidly age. The team races to find a cure before it's too late and Jack dies or succumbs to old age. I mean, wouldn't both of those be dying? Either you die or you succumb to old age, which is also dying. Oh, don't sass me. (laughs) Anyway, let's go over some of the more important characters. Ah, this guy over here. All right. um, (laughs) Let's start with places. Argos is the name of the planet. Uh, did we get a did we get license plate for this planet? I was just about to go into this. Come on. Ooh. Hey. So anyway, so the uh, so this You place, know how much I love my license plates. Yeah. The planet is well, this one's gonna blow your freaking mind, so strap oh, in. Okay. Hit me. Argos is uh license plate is P three X eight five nine six. Oh shit. I know. Four wow. numbers at the end. Like somebody, uh, screw- I think somebody, I think somebody screwed up and, and accidentally put a fourth number or something in there. We really don't know why it's there. Uh, I put in my notes. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, the the characters who live there are called the Argosians. They are humans that were brought to the planet by Pelops from the My- uh, Mycenae of Greece era, or probably the pre-Bronze Age. I'm not really sure. They just discern, I mean, they're just lab rats used in a gold experiment that they are happily ignoring because they have no idea. And they only live to about 100 days. Very sad. Very sad. Some prominent characters that will be mentioned uh, and that you'll see. Pelops, obviously. Uh, he is the ghouled douchebag responsible for the living conditions on Argos. It may be a paradise planet, but... These people are living for only 100 days, so they can, can't really enjoy it as much as you would hope they would. My subset of uh, notes right here says, Super Douche. <laughs> <laughs> as I will probably continue to say to every Goa that we come across. Uh, another... There's a really great moment where uh, somebody says something about maybe it was a good Goa and uh, Jack like guffaws. Oh, gosh, have I got a thing for you on that one. I got a nice little fun fact that we'll go over at the end. Okay. So, exactly about that. I'm glad you picked that one out, because we're going to we're gonna hit that one up. Don't worry. Strap in. I am I am strapped. Oh, uh, yeah, I, pre- I pre-strapped everyone earlier. Now we really got to get down to it. So, anyway, uh, the next prominent character that uh, we'll see is Kynthia. She's a young Argosian. How is that spelled? How is that spelled? I need uh, to know. According to Stargate Wiki, it's spelled K Y N 
It's like Cynthia, just with a K at the front. Okay, I thought it was going to be something like Q-I-N-T-H-Y-A. I can't, I can't blame you, because they like to put apostrophes all over the place on oh, things. Yeah. But no, in this case, it's just Cynthia with a K instead of a okay. C. Okay. Um, she's the young Argosian woman who takes a liking to Jack in this episode. Uh, played by the actress Bobby Phillips. Um, she was in an episode of Boy Meets World, episode or two of X-Files. Her real claim to fame is a Chameleon, which is a series of movies. I guess there were three of them. I'm not what? sure. Yeah. It's about an alien woman who comes to Earth who has the ability to camouflage herself as whatever she wants. I'm, I didn't look too hard into it because it sounded a lot like, um... What's that? What's that alien movie? Don't say aliens or I'll hit you. <laughs> is, it, is it species? Yes, that's the one. Species kind of felt a lot like species, but it's not the same plot exactly. Mimic. Anyway, uh, she was also in Showgirls. For those of you who don't know, it's probably been voted as one of the worst movies of all time. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not here to debate whether or not it's a good movie, and honestly, I saw it once, and I barely made it through the whole thing. Ah, let's get into the episode. So we open on a large Greek-looking building um, at the beginning here. Uh, so SG-1 arrives at this beautiful planet, Argos. Uh, immediately, you'll see sorry, some rando guy chilling out in front of the gate in front of that statue of Pelops. Um, the gate activates, and then the team steps out. But here's my here's my question. What in the hell were they doing in the middle of a temple having a baby? Wouldn't you want to be around people? Perhaps near the village? Because it doesn't exactly seem to me like this building is very close to the village. Am I right? Um, maybe... Maybe they, they didn't expect it to come at that time, and they were just, like, going to get, like, the final blessing before, you know. It sounded like he was asking he was asking Pelops for help because he thought the baby wasn't going to come outright or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's just a weird It's weird just a weird oversight. Yeah, a weird oversight of the plot there. Um, these two characters called uh, Alikos and Thetis. Thetis? I'm not really sure Thetis? how to pronounce that one. It sounded like Carter pronounced it as Thetis um, in the middle I, of the I episode. I choose to believe that it's spelled and pronounced like uh, the uh, name of the world in uh, Dragon Age, Thetis. Sure, we, we'll go with that one. So Ali- I know it's Alikos because they say his name a few times. Alikos yep. and Thetis. Are both there, and they are having a, ba- or she's having a baby, and he's there crapping his pants in the gate room, mm-hmm. the gate room of all places. But uh, <laughs> so what's what's real funny here is the the team immediately hears the screaming, so they run over, and then realize she's having a baby, and then they're like, the guy says, oh, "We don't know where the midwife is. We need some help." And then all the guys look at each other, and then they immediately all look at Carter. <laughs> And then <laughs> she's like, I have no idea how to do this, people. Bruh, I don't have any kids. And I just have the equipment. I just have the equipment I'm not with which a, to carry them. I don't service it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I'm not a car. I take my car to get it maintained. 
you know. Classic classic 90s humor, obviously subverting the fact that males have absolutely no idea what they're doing, and they just look to females for obvious answers. So, oh no, a vagina! Uh, yeah, so they all look at her, and she goes, I have no damn clue, and then it sort of cuts to the uh, the credits of the at the beginning of the show. So after they after they come back to that, Daniel obviously ends up being the one who helps him, and it ends up being a boy, which is uh you know cute, nice. Uh, but they end up noticing that there's a birthmark on the boy, which comes prom or becomes prominent later on in the episode. Daniel and Jack sort of sit there, and then Jack is asking, "Hey, what's this? What's this place about?" And then Daniel makes a small mention about Mycenae. Or Mycenae, I'm not really how sure how to pronounce that. Then Jack's, Jack asks, to, where's, where is that? And Daniel says, um, the Peloponnesian region at the southern, or sorry, the southern Peloponnesus region. And Jack's like, what, what's that? And Daniel goes, <laughs> Greece. And Jack's like, why do I do that? Because he said Greece right before that. And he was like, this looks Greek right. to me. Actually, it looks Mycenae. Well, Jack, here's, uh, a, here's what's, a fun fact. Yeah, go for it. All right, so uh, the statue they identify as uh, Pelops. Uh, Pelops was a member of the uh, Greek pantheon of gods um, who was sacrificed by his father, Tantalus, and fed to the gods or attempted to be fed to the gods. And the only one who partook was Demeter uh, during her grief over the death of her son. Holy crap. It's interesting, Tantalus. And you know that there are two episodes, and the next one after Thor's Hammer is... The Torment of Tantalus. Yep. Interesting. I must must have saw that coming. Disturbing, as is all Greek history, or mythos uh, in general, mm-hmm. because it usually involves something that we take for granted, like cannibalism. Yeah, it's either, you know, cannibalism or incest or cannibalism incest or it's a lot of incest uh or yeah. bestiality or in this case with zeus usually it's reverse bestiality yeah. i don't know how you would be reverse bestiality i mean it's usually usually him dressed up as a sheep or pretending to be a sheep or a llama or some sort of weird thing and then having sex with some rando and then they give birth yeah. to more gods or demigods or semi-gods or just mythical creatures in general, like um, mermaids or something. After he has Semi, sex with porpoise, I don't know. I, I feel <laughs> I feel like Zeus really needs to keep it in his pants because that guy has uh, his only competition in terms of insemination is probably Genghis Khan. Uh, what about Alexander? Uh, I thought Genghis Khan five to eight percent of the world has Genghis Khan's DNA. Uh, ooh, could have been more. Could be more than that. I, I, I Maybe. Don't, I'm, honestly, I remember. Now I gotta look it up. You son of now a you gotta, now look, I gotta it look it up because <sighs> bother me. This is what I was getting back to from that last episode of um, Comic Book Fridays. How I obsess over things, and if I don't know them, I have to look them up. But, you know. Yeah, from our wacky weaving inflatable arm flailing truth man. I can't believe I did that the first time too. So I'm sorry. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. It's not five to eight percent. It's point five percent. Oh, okay. Let's well, still a, a fuck ton of people. That is, uh, roughly sixteen million descendants Holy living shit. today. That is extremely good insemination, if you know what I mean. 
Oh, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> right. This uh, isn't a crime drama. On. Yeah, this isn't a crime drama. We're going to move on from the semen. Uh, <laughs> we're going uh, to cut to the village where everyone's partying it up. Everyone looks like they're having a good time. Looks like it's almost time for the orgy. Daniel that likes to make a comment about how nobody understands what it means to be unattractive. Or, in this case, nobody seems to be ugly. Uh, I'm just going to see what I can get away with here. I mean, like, it's not like Michael Shanks is that ugly. I'm not going to lie. He's a very handsome man, and he looks a lot better when he gets the short haircut. He's definitely not unattractive. He's not unattractive. It's not not gated to fancy the fact that some... You can appreciate someone else's attractiveness without being... When I look Yay. at myself in the mirror and then say Michael Shanks is, is good looking. Well, I mean, it, it, it. I wasn't comparing him to you, but like, you know, I was, I, was. I wasn't comparing him to me. I was comparing him to Richard Dean Anderson. Oh, okay. He's well, the, I mean, he's the standard here. The, the beginning of the episode, Richard Dean Anderson or the end of the episode, Richard Dean Anderson. Oh, jeez. Oh shit. All I right. Well, I'm spoiling he's things. Rule, so. He's the Let's, rule, not the exception. Let's uh let's continue. <laughs> so, uh, Daniel makes a comment that nobody's ugly, uh, which is why they're probably going to have an orgy. But that's beside the point. Um, Teal'c mentions that they all look as healthy as Jaffa. Now, for those who don't know, Jaffa are obviously all uh, carrying immature uh, symbiotes inside of them that give them a perfect immune system. So none of them ever get sick. None of them ever get tired none of them ever really get injured to the point of of death except for when the pouch is usually shot if the pouch is shot or they receive some sort of uh, traumatic brain injury or something and the ghoul can't do anything about it then boom and they're dead so jack is sitting there and he becomes almost instantaneously enamored with uh kinthia who he sees across the way who's giggling like a small schoolgirl in a mix of um, some high school click. Um, she ends up coming over and bringing him a... What does it look like to you, the thing that she brings him? At first, I thought it was like a, a little pie. I like thought it was a, a pizza. Like just a, a really pizza, yeah. shitty pizza with really shitty things on top of it. And right. I, I look closer and I'm like, maybe it's like just like some a fruit, like decoration or whatever. Yeah. yeah. There's like fruit and nuts. It looks like there's some olives, honestly, on there. Like I'm looking at a it, picture. It right looks now. like there are straight up flowers on it to me. That's definitely for sure. That or something is growing on it. But yeah, it looked like like the first thing I ever thought of was pizza. And then when he's biting into it, I'm like, that's not a pizza. It's got to be some sort of weird tart or something um, with jelly on top and, and nuts. It looks okay. Like I try it. Especially if I knew it was going to be sweet, but it looks gross at the same time. After only a few seconds, we start to notice, especially with the camera angles that they go with, or the, the cinematography they go with, things start to fade, and then you start to see duplicates and stuff like that, in, at least from Jack's perspective. So yeah, there's, obviously like a, there's a photography effect called a burn and dodge. That's it. So like you can um, make it look like there's like a either a a halo effect or like a shadow behind things. Uh, it kind of looks like things are laying over each other or even like they're multiple frames. It's like the old windows. Thing. 
uh, the old Windows when something would freak out and it would error out and you could move something <laughs> and it would create an effect. Yeah, like a, in effect, a tail of sorts following from the original position. So yeah, that's that's what we see, and it obviously is uh, there to denote that he's gotten so high he has no idea what's going on and becomes extremely suggestible. I don't know if this is the marriage cake having some sort of drug in it, or if that's just um, spoiler alert here for the episode. We're just gonna we're gonna get into it eventually, so I'm just gonna mention it here, uh, or if it's the nanites immediately. Uh, starting to replicate in his body. Like they're taking away oxygenated blood cells and it's causing him to get a little bit loosey-goosey. Yeah, I mean, it just might be his body's reaction to something that is more prevalent on that planet versus Earth. Yeah. So, yeah, so who knows? I have to assume it's a, probably a mixture of both. I mean, the, the, the sheer grossness of the pie and its enticing ability <laughs> to make me still want to know what it tastes like is... Um, is fantastic. It, doesn't it also look like dense too? Like it doesn't look like light and fluffy and like you know potentially like it looks like know, pound buttery. cake. It's it looks like pound cake. cake if it was like really dense like, as hell. Like very like it was compressed pound cake. Yeah, is what it looks like. It looks like you could take that cake and or chuck toast. it at a wall, and the wall might not survive. <laughs> I want that pie plate though. That's a nice pie plate. That was a nice pie plate. <laughs> Um, so after eating it, he's obviously high as a kite, becomes extremely suggestible, and then, uh, Kinthea comes back to lead him, or his, the group of girls comes back to lead him, uh, over to a chair, and then we get a little bit of a lap dance scene going on here. Uh, I don't really know if this was necessary, although, to be fair, it's probably like, um, how they liked to do that with Captain Kirk on Star Trek, the original series, a lot where they had the leader hook up with girls off world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, that was definitely a result of a different time. You know, it definitely, was I'm the necessary. leader. So time to bang. Yeah. I don't think it was necessary at it, all. It's Although, a, essentially like where the Zap Brannigan, uh, character comes from. Yeah. Yeah, that's where Captain Kirk... Yeah, that's uh, a direct descendant of Captain Kirk, the Zap Brannigans. But in this case, I don't know... I mean, in the overall arching story, it's probably necessary to do something like this. I think this was probably Showtime saying we need to be a little bit racier. Yeah, right, like, this is Showtime! This is Showtime. We need, we need to, to be, show something. We need to be a little racier as opposed to being uh, just a kid's show. And if a kid were to watch this, I mean, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't have any idea what was going on. Uh, anyway, we'll cut to uh, Jack wakes up just in time for every single person in the village to walk right in, which I found to be hilarious. They have absolutely no doors, no um, gates, no locks, no nothing. So, And apparently they share um, houses. And this is probably due to the fact that they can't, they don't have enough time to make new housing when you right. think about it. Yeah, I mean, the they would have time to like do a little bit every day, but like. They're not going to waste their know, time building they wouldn't, a house. They're probably designed to like breed to a certain level to keep the population low. 
Like I'm sure it's like I'm sure it's built into the program. Built in, yeah. yeah. Where they only allow certain amounts of people to continue growing before. I mean, like some people don't even sleep in houses. Some people literally just lay their ass down on the ground. Yeah, they just sort of fall wherever they lie, which comes back to the whole orgy thing. It's uh, this is like an orgy. This is exactly what it is. It's an orgy. Come on. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm stuck on that, but I, I am. So Jack just wakes up in time for everybody to stroll in after a, a little bit of intimacy that he definitely had with Kinthea because his shirt's off, and I'm pretty sure he's got no pants or underwear on. The whole village just seems to go to sleep almost almost immediately or instantaneously, mm-hmm. and they start to think the, they start to question it. Because it's real weird, and I'm like, well, maybe the the drugs just wore off all at the same time. Everyone's uh, been partying. They just said they were going to have a 100-day celebration. Jack? Mm-hmm. Sorry. What no we... no worries. I was just saying we do find out why later. Oh, we do. We do. So Jack starts to uh, to get up, and he's like, well, maybe we should investigate this. And then Jack starts to feel like he's going to pass out. And he starts feeling the effects, and then uh, he just passes out. And then we cut to the next morning. It's like, oh, we're just going to get right down into it. So anyway, we cut to the next morning. Uh, the whole village is woken up. Um, Jack is woken up, although he's got himself a bit of a hangover, which is weird, but that's probably because the nanites are taking literally everything out of him to replicate themselves. So he's probably uh, just going crazy. <laughs> I think you just uh, described something you haven't talked about yet. No, we talked about the nanites. I did say it. Oh, okay. Uh, I said the nan to nanites for sure, but Daniel and Teal'c end up uh, becoming the ones who go to investi- investigate the temple. Teal'c ends up managing to uncover a journal from Pelops. Now, I'm going to throw this to you because you know exactly yeah. what this whole crap is, what the written in an obscure dialect crap is. What is it, Ryan? Oh, it's a plot device. It's a plot device. So it's some ancient, obscure dialect that, um, of course, Teal just happens to know. Yes. Um, I, I did think that the visual representation of the like writing and how they like moved from page to page was interesting, though. That's a cool thing. That's like uh, tablets with actual stone, which is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, that's something that somebody neat. should actually make. All right. Scientists. On it. Scientists, we're calling all scientists to make something like that because it's awesome. Yeah. Now we want our tablets to be actual stone tablets, so yeah. get on it. Get on that. <laughs> <laughs> so Kindle then, granite. And to get to get into the uh, little drawer, um, he just happens to know the combination, right? With no other. It doesn't anything. look like they were just like messing around with it, trying to figure it out. It looks like he walked to it opened it and it's like mm. that's a bit that's like that we're just trying to move the plot along without actually having to put too many blocks in our way <laughs> a couple of things just stick out to me like a sore thumb in this particular episode but still a good episode so if they manage to recover this journal they find out it's a record of some sort number one it can't be the only record that the guy kept there and, num- and number two why the hell would he leave the records if he was he must not have been planning to not come back in this case. So obviously something yeah. happened to him in between when he left the last time 
and now. He definitely yeah, had his no father kids. sacrificed him and fed him to the other gods. <laughs> Obviously. I'm talking about the Gould. The Gould Pelops. Obviously something had to have had to have gone on for him to, to go crazy and not come back. So that's probably why the records are there. Okay, meanwhile, Sam and Jack are still out in the village near the beach. Sam's sitting there. She brought her little case. She's collecting samples of dirt and sand, which is a weird thing to want to collect. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, you know, they want to get kind of a a gauge of what these planets are. Like, are they natural? Was this terraformed? You know, what happens, I guess. Yeah, but I feel like she should, be, she should be investigating the plant life more so than the dirt and sand. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of stuff that they just didn't show that would have been done. But, oh, yeah, um, there could be deleted scenes. That'd be nice to I see. mean, specifically, like, since it's this episode's, like, all about the people of the planet, uh, they just were going to show as little of the other things they would do when they go to planets. Because I'm sure they would do stuff like that on every planet. Like, take soil samples, take air oh, samples, yeah. take uh, plant samples. I would have thought that the priority would have been to figure out why Jack passed out and keep it from right. happening to all of them and taking dirt. It was it was a little weird thing to show instead, instead of, of instead yeah. of like her investigating the food or the water or something like that. But yeah, you know, I, I get it. Or so asking the people for like, you know, blood, body fluid samples. That, I mean, they do end up taking samples, but. They do, but you we know, don't ever see it. So she's she's sitting there, she's doing her collections, and then she walks up to uh, Thetis uh, with a shell that she thinks that the uh, the kid can use as a rattle of sorts. I, I don't think I mentioned the fact that they named the kid Danel to Daniel. Danel. <laughs> so she thinks they can use it, and then she's like, "Oh, well, you can give it to him yourself." And sh- and she's like, "Oh, where is he?" Uh, she's he's right next to me, and you, right next to her you see a a little kid that's about three, maybe four years old tops, and that's only been a day since the baby was grown or since the baby was born. And this obviously shocks uh, Carter because it's like that's not possible. But you obviously see the birthmark that was on him earlier. Uh, now I ended up having to watch this one twice just to to get to keep it all like in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time I watched this, I was definitely like, Oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Cause like, you know, I like, I was like, what's, what is the premise of this episode? What are we going to be focusing on? Cause we, you know, we had that they're falling asleep, whatever. They're going to do another virus episode. Maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then like, it's like, Oh shit. Like this. Now I'm interested. Oh yeah. That's very shocking. Especially when you see it right away, like, how's that possible, and what's going on? Yeah, because like, I, up to this point, I was like, eh, all right, this is this is kind of interesting. This is kind of different. Uh, it, it seems like maybe they're going for something that they've already done. Maybe they'll do it a little bit differently. But then they throw that at you. Okay, you got the the main. Now you know. Now you thing. know what the mystery yeah. is in this episode. Right. Why are the why the hell is the kid three years old and why did it take a single night to do so? So obviously Jack walks up and, and uh notices the same thing it's a, and points out the fact that that's not possible, uh, while the child stares back at him in his face, and then they cut to the little birthmark on his shoulder. And um 
we obviously figure out it's, it's a real thing. They start to, um, they then start to question her, or question Thetis, about uh, how old, how old these kids and people are around her. Um, and they start to discover that years are, are an unknown entity of time for them. And then Sam actually points out that years are different on each planet, which is a thank you, Jesus moment from her. <laughs> because they they did this in that previous episode where Daniel um, explains time and how it works for them, but when they never point out whether or not they have the same linear section of time on the Nox planet, Gaia. Like 365 days a year, how many years, all that jazz. Yeah. Now they finally explain it that there are 365 days and a revolution is just one day around the planet. Thetis then explains how old some of the people are around. Like They look at the kid across the way. She says, oh, he's uh, he's 12. And Sam goes, wow, kid for a 12-year-old, he looks a little big. And then she's like, no, 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 he's 12 days old. And then she starts to go, oh, shit, what? And then they ask Thetis how old she is, and she says 21 days old. And I think you're getting the picture of what everyone else was thinking at that exact same moment. How the hell old is Kinthea? Uh, yep. That was exactly what came into my mind. I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sp- uh, spoiler alert for everyone, she's 31 days old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Jack... Obviously just had uh, relations with a child, I guess. I don't think anybody... Obviously no one's prosecuted him, so he's probably... I mean, clear. it's clear in that world's context that not only do they physically mature, but they mentally mature at a much faster rate. So, like... Go with mentally mature at the same uh, rate? Cognitively? I mean... Cognitively, yes. Yes, cognitively, yes. Mentally... Maybe not. Maybe they're well, a little I mean, more naive than we would be in terms of. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the constructs. in the context of their culture, it would be, you know, uh, maybe like I guess you describe them as someone who'd be like a shut-in for us. Like naive, they would yeah, genuinely naive. know things and like be naive, but they wouldn't be um, immature. No, not 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 immature mentally or or sorry cognitively, but their ability to understand social constructs like deception or anything of, along those lines would be extremely. They wouldn't be engaging in in stuff. They might not even have that concept, honestly. Like depending on how long this culture has gone on, how many generations they've gone through. When the last, you know, when was the last time someone was, you know, disingenuous? Uh, you know, we don't know. We don't know. Um, like, if they even have the concept of, like, uh, honesty. Because they might all just be, you know, completely open with each other since, like, every day is a, a celebration of life. Yeah, they just have no, they probably have no concept of it. So they're a little naive when it comes to that. Um, so after that, We'll cut back to Daniel and Teal, who are uh, with Sam. Uh, their research in the journals has discovered that uh, Pelops was researching human evolution. Big surprise. And the research has discovered that the Pelops was uh, researching human evolution. 
Um, spoiler alert, obviously. If he's going to shorten the lifespan, he can see what happens in a quicker manner. Um, so he can live his couple thousand years while they live a couple thousand generations, as it were. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, Sam asks how they managed to shorten the lifespan. And Daniel then says, oh, well, I think it's virus-based. And he only says that based on the fact that the only person who ended up being affected when they got there was Jack. Uh, and Carter argues that, well, maybe it's through bodily contact, but maybe it also is through airborne. Not that it really matters. It does. They, they're not affected because they're not the ones who are passing out, and Jack's the only one who's passing out. So Jack then orders Carter back to Earth to figure out what's causing this for real. Carter goes back. She ends up uh, helping out with Dr. Frazier to see Dr. Frazier again. Yep. Um, Terrell Rothery. Uh, she's discovered that they have a little bit of particulate in the blood. Uh, whereas Jack has like a hundred times more particulate in their blood. Which yeah, they he, can't... he had a, quite a bit more. Yeah, like if you look at the pictures side by side, his, the regular Argosians have these little triangular things inside of them. And if you look at a small sample of blood, there's maybe you can pick out a dozen or so right away. But when we look at Jack's, you can pick out like hundreds and it's almost taken up the entire blood sample, really. Yeah. So And I, I I did think it was kinda of funny that they made the like little nanites uh like pyramids, like little pyramids. Oh of course they would. That's genius. Yeah. That's yeah. very, very ghouled. <laughs> <laughs> It everything must be pyramid. Yeah. I will only look upon a pyramid. So after that, after that whole little uh, thing goes on between them, um, back to the planet. Uh, Jack has aged about twenty years or so. I'd say he went from being in his forties to being on the verge of sixty, probably. Yeah, he looked like uh, instead of S uh, Stargate, he should be on um, Jag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looked like he should be on the verge of being in an old folks' home. Um, oh, hey, 60's still young. You know, you're not in an old folks' home when you're 60. Should be, though. Should be. I mean, I would like to be. I feel like I'm 60 now. I feel like I could sign up for one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, my body feels like that sometimes. But, but yeah, seriously, my uh, my bones. My bones, my bones, my bones suck. Um, so Sam says that they've, um, they're raising the stakes and they're working to fix him, uh, only because she believes that he has only about two weeks before he'll be approximately aged a hundred years, which is great. Yeah, because they're, they're adjusting to his, uh, natural age and how much more advanced in age that he is than the Argosians. Essentially, what they, what's going on is he's he's almost forty years old, and they've never come across a person of that age. So now they are adjusting to compensate for that, so that he dies very very quickly, which is a sad thing. And they probably, right. if they were to turn it into some sort of um, so they were so they're naturally compensating for his natural actual age. Jack ends up ordering him back through the gate and to come back when they figure it out. Back on, or cut back to on Earth. 
Sam's... You know, they've got all these samples, so they're... Oh, yeah, they've taken samples of blood. They've taken samples of everything so that they can go over them and figure out what the hell's going on. Back on Earth, Sam is discovering these are uh, nanites, in fact. She's finally discovered that they are replicating and not reproducing. But what's really nice is how they played it out for the audience. See how Daniel mm-hmm. just sort of asks the question, what the hell are nanites for, for adults? It seems like it's pretty obvious that these are ro- robot, little robots. But for Yeah, kid, contextually for kids, you can figure it out that it's a, a robot. From, yeah, but for kids, you know, for kids, especially at the time, it's like, what the hell are nanites? And they don't, I mean, they dumb it down to the, to the point where they explain it pretty well for anybody who wants to find out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think even for adults, because uh, this was the 90s, they weren't really talking about nanomachines. Like, you Nanote- know, yeah, nanotechnology had... was probably one of those things that came up in science fiction too often. I mean, most people didn't even have a cell phone. This is when cell phones just started to be like a thing that everybody had. And smartphones wouldn't show up for at least another 10 years. Right. Well, at least not prevalently. Yeah. The first iPhone, I don't think, came out till what, 2007? Uh, some, somewhere around there. Yeah, it sounds about right for me. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it was released June 29th, 2007. Nice. I knew it. I nice. So, um, but I, this was really good, how they how they just spelled it out, and they didn't talk down to their audience. It was as if they didn't know themselves, so they were trying to explain it to each other as well as to the audience. It's very, yeah, it, very it's a well pretty played. good way to like uh, uh, describe what they're talking about instead of having it be like uh, some random guy wandering in and be like, whoa, what's that? And then the character is explaining. It's <laughs> yes. more like a, a science-based thing, so it feels like it fits correctly into the scenario. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then after that, they sort of... So this is one of those things where they're cutting back and forth between two uh, planets because the team is broken up again. So they cut back to Jack... Uh, and he's having a senile argument with st- with the statue of Pelops. Um, and then Kinthea shows up out of nowhere. She's like climbing the statue. Even though it's a statue of her god, she's just climbing it like a little kid. Which is uh, <laughs> another giggle moment for me. Uh, I mean, I really enjoyed it when Jack was yelling at uh, people for talking to the statue. He's like, it's a statue. It's not going to answer you. Yeah, he goes. He goes. Um, old grandpa on you, real old pissed off grandpa on on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But Kinty ends up having a conversation with him and revealing that the cake was actually called a marriage cake and that they're married now. I mean, if that's all it really takes to get married nowadays, what the hell? She's Why like, yeah, we followed all the rituals, so mm-hmm. we married. Dogs. <laughs> the, there was only like two rituals there. Three yeah. rituals, if you count, well, when you, you only live a hundred days, conception. you're not gonna have like oh. a twenty day celebration. Well, that's true. Although you should, you should. <laughs> so, for sure. so during this argument with Kinthia about Pelops not being a god, you can actually see the bald cap on Richard Dean Anderson. I don't know if you can notice it because they do a super close up next to him, and on his uh, his right cheek. Just where his ear is, you can see that there's a hole or the gap between where the glue didn't stick to his face. Oh, no, I didn't notice. I notice it every single time I watch this episode. Uh, <laughs> it's 
so it's like right there. I don't know how the editor wouldn't have noticed. I don't know how the director wouldn't have noticed. Like, come Maybe on. Maybe they did, and they were like, "Oh, we can't afford another shot for this week. We're gonna just go with it." They can't afford. Maybe a they won't extra glue. Well, no, something. like not not the glue, but the time and the film. You know, if they already shot it once and then they noticed it, like maybe they don't really have the the funding to get another shot done. So annoying, so annoying. But whatever, it's just one of those things you you could see. Um, but then, so there's another. There, here's another example. Sorry, the overarching story and religion and stuff like that. So you have a bit of a philosophical debate about faith between Kinthea and uh, Jack here, where she's not exactly a religious zealot, but she's so fearful because she's back to that naivety that well, I was talking about. Well, that's all she's known so far until like the, the team walked through the gate. Exactly. They've been in, indoctrinated, so it's hard to argue with someone who's been indoctrinated since they were born. And they were, she was only born a month ago, so obviously it's going to be real difficult to explain to someone who has the mental capacity or mental understanding of a child of, of probably five to ten years old. Well, well, let's say let's say that not. you today, like you were born today, and your parents only taught you, uh, you know, the mythos of Spawn, like when you were thirty. Like what? What would you think? What would you like? What would be behind you? You would be thinking like, "Oh, there's some dude in necroplasm somewhere building the army of hell." You truly believe that? Yeah, exactly. So, but this is this just another uh, episode where it plays into the whole story that's going on in the background uh, between the Gould and uh, the Earth peoples. Um, so back to Earth, uh, Fraser and Carter are working with the Nanites to learn a little bit more. Uh, and while working with the Nanites, uh, Sam realizes that her gloves are sort of falling apart brittily. Uh, they sort of get brittle and then they start to fall apart like pieces of chocolate coming off of them. <laughs> I was hungry while they watched this, so that, I wrote that, pieces of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Way to describe that, okay. But yeah, that's exactly what happens. It looks like they get super brittle, and then it's like they fall apart like you crack open one of those Easter bunnies, uh, where you crack it up and sort of falls apart in your hand. Right. Um, so they're uh, obviously the nanites are attempting to breach containment, so they obviously close it up. And I was waiting for them to start to like set it on fire, but of course they couldn't afford the fire that time. Right, set on fire, start etching through the glass, something. Yeah, yeah. So that little scene ends up switching back to Argos pretty quickly, where Jack is much older now, uh, and he's he's looking. I think what I think he was writing a last will, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, a will or a specific like a goodbye letter, letter or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Aliko ends up showing up again, the guy from the beginning of the, the episode. He comes to see him and he asks um, a couple of questions, including, um, is it true that he's lived beyond 100 days? And he says, I've lived for thousands of days. And then they have a conversation about what he would do if he could live beyond a thousand, uh, or live for thousands of days. And then Alikos realizes that if he could, 
if he could have a thousand days or even more than a thousand days, he would uh, do some crazy, crazy shit. I mean, it's like what you would ask somebody if they had a million dollars. What would they do with it? Uh, I would do some very boring things with it. Million dollars? Yeah. I imagine. And then I would do some very crazy things. I imagine that the very first thing that on on most or Americans' minds or anyone in general, not just Americans, but would be to pay off debt. That'd be their first thing to go to if they had a million dollars and then use the rest for fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, More or less. Yeah. So. Um, what would what would you buy with a million dollars? With a million dollars, I I would my first thing would obviously be pay off debt. Okay, uh, well after the debt, after the debt, I'd probably put some of it away, put most of it away, and then uh, take fifty k of it and use it for a pretty damn long vacation. Yeah, a, a month long yeah. vacation anywhere I probably could get away with. If that I that sounds great, yeah, yeah, that would be good. Specifically Fiji. Love to go to yeah, and I, I don't think I would do, like, uh, just stop working altogether. I think I'd probably quit, like, the job I have and then do probably more podcast stuff, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get more people to listen. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no. Uh, so after this, after that whole conversation with Alikos, it cuts forward a little bit um, to Jack looking even older at this point, he looks like he's 75 years older, or 75 years old. Um, and then Kinthea comes in, and she's, like, apologizing that she had to put him through this. And then she's like, uh, let's get it on. That's what I got from that whole conversation. <laughs> oh, you want to bang? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what's going on. Let's get it on. I'm going to apologize in the only way I know how. Very, very 90s science fiction. <laughs> so... <laughs> Cut back to Earth. General Hammond is cutting the Argosian research. Um, he says the risk is too great, and unfortunately we have to leave somebody behind. Which is totally reverse of what ends up happening later on as he grows with the team. Um, it seems like he takes a lot more risk later on with the team's um, when they when they're gone, like for instance, there are some examples that I I won't spoil for you, but team members end up getting left behind, and then it becomes a pretty big motto that we don't leave team members behind. So they go through or they fight through tooth and nail um, to save them. But in this instance, it's weird that they decide that they're not going to. I mean, it is only a few episodes into the season or series. I mean, the like I get this one for sure because you know it it could be a disease and they've already experienced like an extreme like disease issue so i i get it but like yeah you know if it's just someone kidnapped or whatever yeah go send some some dudes some dudes with some guns to go get them yeah but it just seems like they that this is the weird one that they choose to, to not take risks on. But I'm not going to argue because it is, like I said, very early on in the series. On Argos, Jack is listening to a uh, to goodbye message from the team. Um, Teal, Big Papa T, has to be coaxed out of um, saying something or coaxed to say something. And what he says is very... Like, I know he's not Klingon, but I want to say it's very Klingon. Uh, it it is very Klingon. Yeah. He's like, you're a good warrior. And I learned a lot from you. 
That very sounds... very stoic warrior yeah, yeah, so I think that's what they're going with for the Jaffa. You always got to have that, that warrior race out of nowhere. Even the Orville's got one. I can't remember what they're called. Oh, I'm so excited for the, the Mocklins. I think it's the Mocklins. It's the Mocklins, yeah. The ones that can eat anything. Mm-hmm. The Mocklins, yeah. I love that show. That's a, that's a good one to get into. If anybody wants to get into a new science fiction show, definitely watch the Orville. I know it's meant to be like, you know, a parody and like comedy, but they do a really good job of making uh like stuff that is actually honestly like just as good it's as more realistic than star trek the next generation because people oh, except i shouldn't say that well no the the next generation it's definitely more realistic than that it's not as realistic as say discovery or picard because discovery and picard are on a network where they can swear say shit and stuff like that so it makes more sense uh but the orville <laughs> the orville feels more realistic because there are people who are incompetent and, <laughs> and there yeah, well, are well i mean it feels like the people are people and not characters yes yes uh but it is a more realistic show than say the next generation but not as realistic as say discovery or picard uh, because there's an obvious um, tone of comedy in the midst of the whole thing, which is great. It, it's perfectly balanced between comedy and, and action. Um, so good on Seth MacFarlane for that one, for sure. Um, so the people of Argos end up showing up after they after he's watching this message and rewinding and rewinding, and um, they're asking Pelops for help to help them go beyond a hundred days now that they know that they can live beyond a hundred days. Um, and then Jack is like, uh, that's not what ghouls do. They're a bunch. This is where I think he does the guffaw moment you were talking about earlier. No, that, that was, um, right when he was eating the marriage cake. Was it? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're yeah. right. But, um, he, he's like, he ends up explaining to them what Gould actually do, where they take people as slaves and, and lab rats, and you're basically just a giant experiment for him. He doesn't actually care about you. Um, so he goes on to incite a riot as a senile 75-year-old and then not participate in it whatsoever. Right. <laughs> as 70-year-olds as definitely do. Yeah, they're just like, we're going to start this, but we're not going to do anything. We did start the fire. And then also, why in the hell does he have like a southern accent going on as he ages? I, I had a little bit of an issue with like the voices he was putting on. I didn't particularly think they were that great. I thought they were they were okay. The one the but... one at the end was better, but the the overall I didn't That didn't know. make any sense. Why did he all of a sudden switch to a southern accent? He was fucking uh, Colonel uh, Colonel Sanders. All of a sudden, once the riot is uh, is over, they've destroyed the which call it um, the statue. If you look at the statue, you do you remember those toys that were like uh, they could fall apart, but they were like connected by strings. Yes, you can see on the statue that there are like holes going through it that make it look like that's possibly how they got it to put back together. 
they probably used sticks or something like that to hold the pieces back into place in case they had to do more than one take of breaking the statue. Do you remember Legends of the Hidden Temple? Yeah, where they had to put the, together the, the shining monkey or the silver monkey. Yes, they had to put the monkey together in the temple and the like uh, last part of it. It reminds me of that, exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how that statue, I think, was put together in pieces like that. You can obviously see it. It's it's really, it's right there, especially on the back. On the back, it kind of falls apart, but you can see two sticks um, going into the torso from the bo- bottom piece. Okay. Um, so if you wa- rewatch that, just keep an eye out for that when it falls. It's definitely been put together in pieces so that it falls apart easier. So they can do multiple shots, too. Right, yeah, you don't want to have only one shot, one chance to get the shot. Yeah, especially the shot. especially if somebody gets in the way, like an extra does something stupid and gets in the way. And we know that they do. And we know that they do, but unfortunately they didn't do it in this episode. Didn't see any. Unfor- that's unfortunate. But, um, that is unfortunate. So after they destroy the statue, Kinthe and Jack decide that they're going to go do whatever the hell they feel like, and then they're going to take a walk down the beach. They have a nice little intimate scene. They sit down to have a campfire. So nighttime has come, and they're not falling asleep. This obviously gets Jack's wheels turning. He's like, why isn't, why aren't we asleep? And then they make their way back to the village uh, in the morning, where everyone is still asleep. And Jack is like, ah, oh, maybe I should investigate this. So he goes and he takes the takes a look at the statue and realizes that they've they've broken a piece of it. A uh, little stereo boombox that he pulls out of the statue. Uh, it it does look like a stereo boombox. It, it looks like yeah, uh, one of those boomboxes that are waterproof that you see nowadays. Yeah, yeah the one you would <laughs> the one you would bring to the beach or something like that. So that may be that may be what it is. I don't know. Uh, after he's investigated and he finds out that he may have broken something, he calls the team back in. And then Sam, Jack, and Teal make their way back to the uh, to the planet, and they realize that it were, there was a frequency, a tone that was setting off the uh, nanites to both put them to sleep and wake them back up. So now that they have they they were put to sleep because that was working, but the wake up call obviously wasn't working. So Sam finds out what the wake up frequency is from all of the journal research that Dan or Dan and Teal did. And uh, she initiates the wake-up call, essentially. And then um, that's pretty much really the episode. I mean, the only other thing that I would mention is that Jack is like, oh, well, how do I get back to my own age? And there's a bit of lazy writing where it's like, oh, don't worry. The nan- now the nanots are gone, you're pretty much just going to age back to what you were. Because you weren't as a child with the nanites, uh, you'll take about two. A little weeks, bit of so. yeah, a little bit of lazy so does, writing. Does that mean that the people who are alive are going to turn into babies? <sighs> I yeah, it was it was a little bit of lazy writing, but that's that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Shouldn't I need, they? I need to know. I mean, if if that's the logic of it, I mean, like it, it should be right. No, but. But you know, yeah, it's it's just a plot device, and like right now, it's definitely like still like flavor of the week. They're kind of determining where everything's gonna go from here. Yeah, they haven't really like, standardized the lore just yet. They're getting there, but they haven't done it just yet. I think this was before they officially like okayed a second season. 
because like it still feels like they're like fighting for like more episodes i guess could be um i'm not really sure i'll have to look that up as far as when showtime decided to give them more seasons but let's move into the now that the episode's over let's move into some of those fun facts fun facts so fun fact let's start with the one that i was talking about from you um O'Neill laughing at the idea of a good Goa'uld in the episode. Mm-hmm. There are actually good Goa'uld that we will run into. What? In, in the future. They will be referred to as the Tok'ra. Um, which in Goa'uld means rebels. So they are rebel Goa'uld. Mm. So um, that was probably foreshadowing on the writer's part to let us know that it's coming. Oh, they're coming. I don't know when, but they're coming. Uh, in this episode, this is uh, one of three episodes in Stargate that uses a reference from Shakespeare as the title. Uh, another one is in Stargate Atlantis called This Mortal Coil and Be, Be All My Sins Remembered. This is the first time we actually hear the word Death Glider. Ah. Uh, that's what they refer to as those little ships that look like hawks or birds of some sort that um, fire on people from above. Okay. okay. I, I think we've uh, seen we've seen them a couple of times before. But um, yeah. in this case that's what the we've heard. This we didn't even see one in this episode, which is weird that they decided to start using the word death glider in this episode. Uh Gary I mean, it's, it's a cool thing to say. It is a nice it's a good word. It's a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing. Gary Gary Jones, uh, or Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, was credited for this in this episode, but he never actually shows up. Like we never see him at all. No, oh. that's weird. That's crazy. Don't really know why. Don't really care why. Yeah, he, it doesn't matter. I guess he got credit. He got credit on it anyway. Uh, and that little box that we were talking about, the frequency yeah. emitter, mm-hmm. uh, gets reused. In, a, in another episode. <laughs> Which is funny. We'll have to look out like for it. it. It's, I'm, I sh- I'm guessing that it comes out as some other thing and not a frequency emitter. It's definitely not uh, yeah, it's the same thing. Uh, it's actually not used until a season four episode. And it's part of like a console of a, of a ship or something. <laughs> okay, so really they're sure. like, uh, we got this prop. And, like, it's, we haven't used it for a couple seasons, but, like, can we use it? <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they won't notice. Won't, nobody's going to remember. In, in, in 20, 30 years, they won't be, like, looking back on this moment and talking about it on their radio shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's get into the rewatchability scale, Ryan. What do you got for this episode? Uh, I gotta go with a solid like four point two because like I did watch it twice to uh to get prepared and like I enjoyed it. I felt like it had solid writing and it wasn't too cumbersome as far as like uh like issues or things I found nothing nothing that was beyond nothing that was beyond the level of an annoyance in my opinion. So I had a I had a four yeah. for this one. So this is definitely an episode I'd recommend watching. Um, 
I'd probably rewatch it again. Honestly, if I was rewatching the series, I'd watch it again. But it's not a solid five only because there's. It's just one of those episodes you can skip in the long run yeah. of things. It's not one of the ones that you absolutely have to watch, but I'd recommend watching it because it's it's still a good episode. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say yeah. that it felt important when I watched it. It just felt interesting. It doesn't play into the overarching storyline at all because it's like a, it's like a slide. I'll call it a sliders episode because oh, it's a oh, planet of think- the week. I can't wait to get to sliders. <laughs> uh yeah, we're definitely gonna do that for sure. Put yeah, it on the I mean that's on the docket. <laughs> we might maybe we'll do some sliders in between seasons of this. Well, I suppose maybe. that we could just do it as another day. We'll we see could, if we can convince yeah. some some people to do it with us. Uh we can do that. Um yeah. so uh that's that's all we've got for you. Um Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, at 7 Days to RSG. Uh, that's at 7 Days to RSG. Um, today we are sponsored by reruns of Married with Children, uh, because Ooh. that's all that's ever on television nowadays. Reruns of Married with Children, they are the syndicate. It's not syndicated, it's the syndicate. Yes. Don't skip an episode, or they'll get you. To be fair, we are not sponsored by them at all. We just like no. married with children, and we want you to watch it. They're not threatening us or holding our children hostage. Please, God, don't not watch Married with Children. You better watch Married with Children. <laughs> 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 All right, that's it from us. Uh, we wish you seven days to rock and stone, Guardians. Rock and stone.